Tonight I'd like to talk about the four foundations of mindfulness. But before I do, I'll let you in on a little bit, a little secret that we share up here anyways. We talk about it sometimes. Um, sometimes in the middle of a retreat after having sat several days in the hall. And of course, all of us are pretty aware of what's going on by now in your minds. We're spending the last few days very intensively talking about those things. Um, but the secret is, sometimes when we look around, it kind of amazes us that we're still here. Even after more than 30 years of practicing this, uh, it's quite amazing that we're actually willing and able um, to kind of put ourselves through this. Uh, It's really a hard thing to do. And you can describe it to your friends when you go back and And no matter how much you describe it, they're still not going to be able to understand how hard it was. <laughs> they might be able to imagine it, but... And obviously, you know, it's inspiring, actually, because uh, it takes a lot of effort. You know, it takes a lot of determination. And, uh, sometimes just a gram, even, of faith or confidence, um, that it's worth it, that what we're doing here matters. But it's not only our effort, it's not the fact that we're able to do this, it's not just solely based on effort because, of course, it's wise effort that's required. And what inspires me about the Buddha's teachings is that he provided a very clear, in my eyes anyways, a very clear framework for understanding the practice, a framework for um, doing just exactly what we're doing here during these last few days, a framework for the method that we're applying. And that framework, of course, is the four foundations of mindfulness. To give you a good example of how much we rely on this framework, on this method, just imagine if you came to a retreat and we sat down and the instructions were, be mindful. That's it. We explained to you what mindfulness is first. Okay, it's non-judgmental attention to the here and now. But that's it. Just pay attention to your experience. I know if somebody had offered me those teachings when I first came into the practice, there's no way I would have lasted. No way. I I would never have understood what I needed to do. Never. And what's wonderful about this particular framework is that it doesn't depend on a belief system. You know, so many of our frameworks, our reference points, our frameworks, depend on a certain ideology or belief system that gets passed on to us. And then, of course, that frames our perception. It frames our views and opinions. 
But the four foundations of mindfulness, the mindfulness practice itself, it's about directly seeing it for yourself. The Buddha was very clear about that. He offered the teachings, but it's for us to take a look to see if the teachings make sense. It's for us to practice mindfulness to see where it goes. That's why you'll never run into someone I've, I've seen, I've never run into a Vipassana teacher uh, or a Buddhist teacher that was out to convince you of anything. Basically, it's really encouraging one to apply oneself to the method and see for oneself. And that's right in line with the Buddhist tradition. But there is a framework, there is a method, and that makes it accessible. When we sit down, we immediately begin to taste and see for ourselves the state of things, the state of confusion and the wandering mind, that monkey mind that we've mentioned. So having a method is essential for 99.999% of us. Having a method is essential. We need a way in. We need to be able to make our way into the present moment because of how powerful the conditioning in our thoughts are. We're so deeply conditioned not to relax and not to pay attention to the present moment that we need a method. We need to be able to nurture this quality of mindfulness, but we also need to know, okay, where are we going to rest our attention in the present moment? What aspect of our experience should we pay attention to? Well, the Buddha framed this particular practice, this method, in that one of his most well-known discourses, Ryan talked about it last night, some Satipatthana discourse, the four foundations of mindfulness. And very briefly, the four foundations are the body, which is obviously where we've been spending the last uh, few days, being mindful of that first foundation. Feelings, quality, texture, texture, tone of a particular experience. And there are three of these, which is pleasant, unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. In other words, neutral. And that could be a sight that's pleasant, or a smell that's pleasant or unpleasant. Even the mind is the sixth sense door. There are pleasant thoughts and unpleasant thoughts. There are pleasant emotions, unpleasant emotions, and really neutral emotions, neither painful nor um, pleasant. That's the second foundation, feelings. The third is mental states, thoughts, emotions, moods, reactions, the kind of stuff that we've been looking at the last few days that we we know is going on, but yet um, the practice, the method so far that we've been talking about has really focused mostly on the body. And we're going to be opening things up pretty soon in the retreat so that we can begin to uh, include these other foundations of mindfulness in our practice. So the third foundation is one of mental states, the world of thought. The fourth is laws of experience, which is kind of the nature of experience, seeing the bigger picture. I'll get to that towards the end of, the, of this evening. But we start with the body. Vipassana, insight practice, most often starts with this first foundation. And to, and to me, this is, uh, not only do I think the framework is brilliant in terms of kind of how to be in the present, what to pay attention to, uh, but also starting with that first foundation of mindfulness, the body. 
because to me, the body is the most accessible aspect of our experience. It's kind of the most obvious. It's the one that is oftentimes the most predominant. When we sit down, feeling the cushion, feeling the floor, feeling your breathing, physical sensations rising and passing away. And so the first foundation um, really begins to allow us to develop and nurture the seeds of mindfulness that are already there. If we started with the third foundation of mindfulness, it's very difficult to develop a certain degree of calm or relaxation or equanimity or concentration just because of the nature of our minds. It's so chaotic. And so finding an anchor, crucial, crucial, and using the body is endlessly useful. It's endlessly useful, this first foundation, not just for people who are just beginning, not just for people who have been practicing for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 years. It's endlessly useful. It's such a resource having this, this capacity to be aware of your body as a way of anchoring the mind in the present moment. Now the Buddha talked about a variety of contemplations of the body that both develop calm and insight and wisdom. We've been talking quite a bit about mindfulness of the breathing, which is one of those contemplations. It's a significant one in the Vipassana tradition. Another uh, practice that we've been talking quite a bit about is sort of the four postures. It's another contemplation. It's, uh, sitting, walking, standing, lying down, taking on those four postures. The advantage of limiting the field of attention to this first foundation initially, like we have in the first few days, is that it does give the mind an opportunity to focus the mindfulness. When we begin to open the field of attention, it will be very interesting to see the fact that maybe the mindfulness has developed more than you even think it has. That's, that's really true for many of us, that we're much more mindful than when we first arrived. We might not like the things that we're mindful of. You know, we might not really be enjoying seeing some of this stuff, which is what I described as kind of bad news in a way, but we are becoming more mindful. I see it over and over again in the interviews. People are describing their experience in quite a detailed way. You know, they might not like the experience they're describing, but to me, the fact that they're able to, that we're able to describe the experience, often very sequentially, you know, one can see sort of the arising or catch it later and then notice sort of the chain of events, chain of experiences that arise out of that particular experience. And of course, that's pointing to this awareness of the four foundations of mindfulness, whether we know it or not. But starting with the body, once again, allows the mind to get concentrated. It gives us a chance to strengthen mindfulness so that it can be, it becomes, the mind becomes useful. Uh, our attention becomes useful. Uh, instead of sitting there thinking and trying to figure out your experience, the mind develops this capacity to pay attention to what's happening in the body in the here and now. 
So every moment that we feel the breath, every moment that we're aware when we sit down on the cushion, we feel our cushion, we set up our bodies, and we're aware maybe of some discomfort, or we're aware that the body feels comfortable in this new posture that we've decided to do, or we've decided to sit in a chair, and all of a sudden we discover one or two pleasant sensations in the body. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's mindfulness. That's awareness. That's, that we're paying attention to our experience. That's exactly where the practice is supposed to go. That's exactly where the practice is supposed to go. So we become more and more present. In fact, oftentimes we become so much more present that we begin to notice the gaps in being present. Most of us arrive, and the gap has been really long, like days and weeks and months. Uh, coming on retreat, people will complain that their mind wandered a few minutes, or five minutes, or ten minutes, or they spaced out during lunchtime. How many lunchtimes have you spaced out on? Uh, you probably noticed more in this dining room than you probably like to notice, actually. Um, but you probably notice a lot more about your experience since you've been arriving. And this anchor in the body allows us to do that. Because when the mind goes away, we know where to go. It's back into the body. And by going into the body, we're not moving away from our experience. You know, we're not chanting something to ourselves. We're not telling ourselves everything's great or anything like that. We're coming back to the here and now. Only what we're doing is we're focusing on one aspect of the here and now, which is the body. Until the mind begins to settle a bit, until we get the hang of it a little bit and realize that, oh yeah, it's not about having one particular experience. It's about remembering to keep coming back. Keep coming back. There are many ways that this practice of mindfulness of the body is useful. Certainly in daily activities, whether it's daily activities uh, out there in the big world, or whether it's uh, activities at, at the retreat center, uh, brushing your teeth, for instance, or washing the dishes, or doing your yogi job. If you notice that the mind is getting very agitated, and it does, especially yogi job. You know, most people, often big dramas associated with yogi jobs. I mean, I mean you know. Sometimes people come in with the most upsetting experiences, you know. It's traumatic sometimes what happens on yogi jobs. Like the mop bucket spills or something happens or somebody went into the bathroom when you were trying to clean it and all sorts of things that are out of your control happen. Um, and it's very easy to get agitated, especially in the jobs that, uh, you know, like dishwashing and jobs you have to work with people and you're working more quickly and it's labor intensive, um, very, very helpful practice is to keep remembering just to come back into your body. Just keep coming back into your body. Simplify things. Simplify things. That's the beauty of working with the first foundation of mindfulness. You never lose by coming back into your body. In fact, by reconnecting to your body, it makes one much more mindful, much more balanced, much more able to work with the other foundations of mindfulness, such as the emotions or mental states or reactions that you're having. Very useful resource, endlessly useful. The second foundation is contemplation of feelings. 
And when we talk about feelings as the second foundation, we're not talking about emotions, even though emotions have a feeling tone to them. When we talk about feelings, we're talking about pleasant, simply pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Neutral feelings, the feeling tone of a particular experience. So when you're feeling that tension in your body, obviously the feeling tone is unpleasant. Uh, when you walking through the dining room and someone coughs next to you or something, that might be an unpleasant uh, sound. There's an unpleasant feeling quality to it. Um, when you walk out the door and you look like this evening, you know, after the, the sit and you go outdoors, and there are just so many pleasant feeling qualities. Uh, so nurturing, really, to let those pleasant feeling qualities in. In mindfulness practice, uh, despite sometimes people's misconception that it's all about pain, um, th- it actually is quite a bit about... Uh, I got her to laugh anyway. <laughs> That's why I married her, actually. <laughs> she always laughs my jokes. <laughs> practice, mindfulness practice, actually begins to open us up to enjoyment, to pleasure, to pleasant uh, sensations. You know, there are many people that would walk out that door and be bored out of their mind. They would just look around and say, well, you know, where's, where's the next Starbucks? You know, or, uh, you know, uh, what's playing on the TV tonight? You know, what are, what are a bunch of pastures for cows? Where are the cows even? You know? uh, I mean, there's not really that much going on out there, although there is. It's not that stimulating, maybe. Uh, but when you come out of the meditation hall, <laughs> It's actually a high point. <laughs> so mindfulness, you know, allows us to that openness of heart, that openness of a mind, uh, allows us to experience pleasure. It allows us to experience pleasant feelings more fully. So often. We, we actually aren't always around for pleasant feelings. It's actually an interesting insight to notice in your own life that one could be sitting down to a delicious meal and you might notice sometimes just two or three bites. And a lot of times, you know, the mind is just distracted. It's preoccupied. It's actually not there. Um, there for that particular experience. So contemplation of feelings begins to allow us uh, to open up to life more fully. Instead of cutting off from certain experiences, we begin to notice the feeling quality of experiences. Um, You know, so often there are, uh, I think this is quite deep, and many of us, I think, make this assumption um, that pleasant feelings are good, unpleasant feelings are bad, and neutral feelings are really boring. And honestly, we we really often relate to the feeling quality of our experience just that way. You know, someone will have, will come in and report that their body is feeling really, this doesn't happen too often actually, uh, but their body feels a lot of pleasure and blissful, you know, and and that, you know, they've been sitting with pain and now it's really pleasant. And oftentimes what one will say is, boy, I had a really good sitting. And then another person will come in 
and sitting with all this pain, just, you know, tension, discomfort, and they'll come in and say, my, my practice is really bad. You know, this has been a really bad experience. Um, you know, I don't know what to do with this bad experience of pain. And there's this value judgment. And that's conditioned. See, what that ends up doing, that conditioning that this is good, this is bad, based on the feeling quality of experience, it limits. You know, it limits our capacity to investigate or to open more fully to experience. A lot of us are conditioned to relate to pain through the lens of fear, to be frightened of it. Instead of having, developing the capacity to be with pain, to allow it to be there, but then to learn how to respond with wisdom or compassion, that's not what our training is about. Our training is about avoiding those feelings. Don't have an unpleasant emotion. It means there's something wrong with you. You need to be fixed. Don't experience tension in the body. You know, oftentimes people will sit. First thing that they'll notice is the tension in the body, and they'll start judging themselves. You know, I should be doing more yoga in my life. I should be eating better. I should be this. I should be that. I should do this. I should do that. And you can see the judgments begin to pile on because oftentimes we identify with these feelings. We identify with the painful feeling. It's often very threatening. But the fact is that both pleasure and pain are simply a part of life. It's not good, not bad. It's the nature of human existence is that we're all, whether we're Enlightened or not, we're all going to experience pleasure or pain or neutral experiences. It's the nature of the conditioned life that we, that we live in. And so when we, when we develop a capacity to be with those experiences, with greater equanimity, with more wholeheartedness, we develop the capacity to relate to the feeling qualities of our experience with wisdom, rather than clinging onto pleasant feelings and hoping that it's going to make us happy, or pushing away painful experiences because we think we're going to be happier if we don't experience pain. And of course, those strategies of pushing it away or clinging, uh, they create suffering, that particular strategy. It doesn't, it's not fruitful. It doesn't lead to liberation. It actually doesn't lead to peace. Quite the opposite. It doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to essentially fear. Because the nature of any pleasant feeling that you have, or the nature of any unpleasant feeling that you have, is that it's going to change. So if our happiness depends on holding on to that pleasure, or pushing away that pain, it's a setup. Much better to develop a capacity to be with the feeling quality, to be aware of the feeling quality. Instead of just finding yourself locked up in some kind of reaction, to experience that, you know, that, uh, that we're not really opening to. So contemplation of feeling, being mindful of those pleasant, unpleasant, even memories. I remember one time I was sitting here on intensive retreat, and I had just gotten off the of staff, and I, I spent at, you know, almost five years on staff, and then I, um, I sat for about a year after that, is the thing they called an LTY, long-term yogi program. So I went into Yogi Land um, and spent a year there. And you know, during that time, so many memories were surfacing, uh, so vivid, you know, pictures, dialogues, all sorts, all sorts of events were arising in my mind as I sat and walked. 
And what was interesting was to notice the feeling quality of the memory and just how I would then relate to that feeling quality. Because, of course, there was a broad spectrum. You can imagine after five years, there were many, many pleasant memories. I also had my share of unpleasant memories. And some memories that just seemed, just bubbled up, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. But it was interesting that how I would then relate to them, and oftentimes I would notice that there'd be the clinging onto the pleasant memories, wanting those memories, kind of uh, indulging them in some ways. And other times when I have the unpleasant memory, there would be a little aversion to it, not wanting to have that unpleasant, uh, being upset by that unpleasant uh, feeling that unpleasant memory. But I could see, because I was trying to pay attention, I could see the feeling quality of the memory itself. Fascinating that memories actually have that feeling quality. So through mindfulness practice, we, we learn to relax, really relax, kind of an unconditioned relaxation. We learn to begin to relax uh, with pleasure. We begin to relax even into painful experiences. We don't disconnect when things are just neutral or apparently boring. It's very, very freeing. Uh, we, we are, we're actually able to live life fully when we do that. You know, when we can open to pleasure, enjoy it, celebrate it, and then when it passes or dissolves, it goes. When pain arises, we just open to it, pay attention to it, we learn something from it, we take a look at its nature, maybe we investigate it a little bit instead of running away from it. We try to apply some wisdom, looking at maybe the conditions that might be causing the pain. You know, seeing where, what it's, what's, arri- what's causing the pain. You know, if you're sitting in full lotus you know, for four hours, um, you can look at that and question that and say, maybe this isn't such a good idea. Maybe I should sit in half lotus or sit in a chair. You know, you're applying wisdom, not out of aversion, not out of aversion, but out of wisdom, out of compassion. Seeing, seeing that we don't necessarily have to subject ourselves to pain unnecessarily. That actually takes wisdom sometimes. Go back. A couple of you have heard this story. Bear with me. Um, I remember my th- first three-month course. To, this, this gives you a really good picture. Remember when I described how I started practice and how kind of delusional I was? Uh, this is a very good example. Um, after practicing for about a year, I went on this three-month retreat. It was kind of the first three-month retreat uh, in, in the Vipassana tradition anyways. Joseph and Jack and some people led that retreat in Maine. It was pre-IMS. And we were pretty naive. And I was extremely naive. And had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. I had sat a 10-day retreat, um, but not three months. So I kind of dove into this thing and, and started sitting and and now, you know, I look out the meditation hall, I see like these uh, unlimited contraptions that everybody uses for sitting. I mean, there's, you know, just like there's probably 20 or 30 contraptions that people are using 
and, and actually more than that if you count all the different cushions and everything else that people are using. Back then it was a little more basic. I, I made this bench, um, you know, so cut it myself and everything actually. And I'm not really a carpenter type. But uh, <laughs> I don't think I look like one, do I? Um, but I made this bench and I carried this bench 2,000 miles. It wasn't a fold-up bench either. It was just a regular <laughs> bench. And uh, you know, I was going to hitchhike my way to this retreat and uh, started sitting on this bench. And then after about several weeks of sitting on this bench, something really began to hurt. Uh, can you imagine what it might be? Sitting on a wooden bench with no cushion. Okay? Wooden bench, no cushion. So naturally my butt started hurting. And actually, it really started hurting. And then it really, really started hurting. And after like a couple of weeks more, it was agony. Utter, excruciating agony. And what I would watch is the pain develop over the day. You know, like my early morning sitting was not so painful, and then by mid-morning it was starting to really hurt, and then the afternoon, by nighttime, you know, you can imagine. Um, and then I can remember one morning I woke up, and the minute I sat down on that bench, it was killing me. Now, you might ask, <laughs> why didn't I put a cushion on that bench? There were cushions available, mind you. <laughs> cushions in the back of the hall back then, even. Uh, there were cushions, um, or a blanket. I could have put anything on there, actually. Um, and the reason I didn't was because I thought I was being kind of virtuous. You know, that's really the bottom line. I wouldn't have said that to myself. But underneath it all, I thought, yeah, you know, this is it. You know, uh, it's keeping me awake. Uh, I don't have to deal with <laughs> sleepiness. Uh, I'm getting to really watch this pain so that I'm going to get liberated. Uh, and all of that stuff. But I wasn't really paying attention to the third foundation of mindfulness, which was the mental states that were arising in relationship to this agonizing pain, which was tremendous aversion in my mind. I mean, I, I, I was hating it, the, the experience, and, and I was forcing and pushing. Um, and then one day, I'm trying to remember what happened. I forget this part of the story. I realized that it would be okay to use a cushion, you know, to put a cushion on the meditation bench. And I put the cushion and I sat down on the bench, and I can still remember this today. And this, this is literally exactly 30 years ago. It felt like I was sitting on a cloud. It honestly felt like I was sitting on a cloud. And within five minutes, I thought I was going to get completely enlightened. I was so relaxed and so happy and so blissful. I mean, really, it was just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. Uh, and, you know, what came out of that was kind of a, you know, a little bit of an investigation on my part anyways, uh, to just what my motivation is, and what's driving me, and, and 
a little bit more sensitivity and a little bit more compassion uh, for myself. Uh, and that's something I, I needed. I needed to balance that effort. I mean, obviously the effort was there, um, but it was a very striving kind of effort. And I needed to uh, sort of bring up the balance, that, that gentleness or, or that kind of kindness or compassion uh, towards myself. And, uh, and definitely uh, the remainder of the retreat was infinitely more easy than probably that during that prior month. So you don't need to uh, do that. You think it's virtuous, pain, that pain is a really good thing. Question that. Uh, don't, don't buy into that model. Uh, at the same time, there is some value in developing a capacity to be with some discomfort. There is value in that, absolutely. Whether it's physical discomfort or emotional discomfort. But you want to apply wisdom and compassion. You want to find that balanced effort in working with pain. I actually might only get to three of them. Uh, <laughs> you can do the fourth. Uh, mental states, emotions, moods, fantasies, memories, reactions, thoughts, planning, all these different states of mind that, that make, a big, make up a big part of our day. And when we begin to settle into the present, uh, they're, you know, it's unmistakably happening. You know, these, these thoughts and states of mind, uh, they're a predominant part of our experience in the here and now. And the method, as I said, will begin to expand the method uh, beginning tomorrow morning. We'll begin to include all of these foundations. Let's talk about being mindful of mental states. One thing we can see is that the absence of mindfulness of the third foundation, all we have to do is take a look at the world. We can take a look at our own minds too. Take a look at the world. And what you see is an absence of mindfulness of this third foundation. And what I would call the tragic consequences, uh, the endlessly tragic consequences of people not being mindful of their thoughts, not being mindful of their reactions, not being mindful of their emotions and not applying, of course, wisdom or compassion to this particular arena of their experience. See, the problem for many of us is that there's tremendous identification, uh, tremendous identification with this area in our lives. And it causes a great deal of pain. It causes a great deal of separation. It creates self and other. It creates Well, it's the source of a lot of aggression in the world, obviously. source of a lot of hatred. And all of it's coming out of our thoughts. All of this is coming out of our moods, our reactions. And so it's very, very important for all of us to begin to uh, relate to this third foundation of mindfulness, or the mind, or the world of the mind, to move into another kind of relationship. Our relationship predominantly is one of being caught up in our conditioned thinking, which is a very limited uh, world. It's very small, very narrow. So we need to begin to expand our understanding 
of this third foundation, of the world of thought, and move it, instead of this kind of conditioned thinking, more into bringing awareness. So that's what we want to do in this practice. We're not after a particular mental state. We're not after a particular mood or emotion or mind state. What we're interested in is bringing awareness into the mind states that we're actually experiencing. That's what we're interested in doing, is bringing awareness to the emotions and mind states, reactions that we're actually experiencing. We're not trying to get rid of particular mind states. You know, so, so, so many of us, when we get caught in anger or fear, anxiety or worry, we react, we identify, we don't want that experience. And of course, not wanting that experience just makes it stronger. You know, trying to get rid of that or trying to judge, uh, or not just trying, but judging um, those mind states, simply reinforce this sense of solidity or that sense of identification with that particular mind state. See, that mind state isn't us. It's not you, it's not me. That mind state is simply arising under certain conditions. Just like the sun arises under certain conditions and sets under certain conditions. Emotions, mind states, and moods have that exact same nature. No difference. It arises, expresses itself, and passes away. What we often have a very conditioned relationship. And everybody has um, their own karma around this in terms of what kind of emotions and moods or mindset states that we experience, uh, what kind of thoughts arise when you begin to sit. You know, everybody's quite different this way. Um, also, how we relate to these mind states varies a lot. You know, some people grow up thinking, you know, anger's okay. You know, that, that's kind of like the natural, uh, natural response when you don't like something, is to be angry. Uh, other people grow up thinking, you know, no, you're not supposed to experience anger. If you do, you're a bad person and you have to figure a way of keeping that down. Never express it. Never let it out. So we have very complex relationships based on our conditioning towards these experiences, towards mental states, thoughts, emotions, and moods. But what gets us the most in trouble is that we have a tendency to identify with them, even more than the body. For instance, we, you know, we do have a tendency to identify with painful sensations, or the body in general but we strongly tend to identify with mind states, the world of thought. We get upset by our thoughts. We get upset by different mind states that arise. Uh, and we think about all sorts of reasons why we shouldn't be having that experience or why we should be having another experience. just briefly talk about working with reactions, being mindful of reactions. It's a significant aspect of Dharma practice. A lot of insight and a lot of inner freedom comes out of this practice of being mindful of your reactions. And, and it's, it's such a useful practice to take up uh, in dealing not just with the conditions that we, we have on retreat, but also the conditions that we confront in the world that we're living in, our ordinary lives. You know, we're constantly reacting for or against the conditions that we meet. Um, and so learning to be more mindful of our reactions is crucial in terms of moving, you know, steering that ship, steering that cruise ship, that one degree 
in terms of heading it in the right direction. You know, some, you know, it's tragic sometimes when you read about somebody having a really strong reaction and then that triggering some action that has profound consequences. And you realize that you really have to guard this one. You have to pay attention. We have to pay attention to reactions because they get us in trouble over and over again. They keep us repeating oftentimes the same mistakes over and over again. But fortunately, we can begin to let go of our reactions. We can begin to change our conditioning. We, we're not inherently subject to our conditioning. The conditioning can be extremely strong, but we can let go of this conditioning. We can taste more freedom in our lives. You know, we can direct our lives in a direction where we can then learn how to respond to the conditions that we meet with inner balance or wisdom, not just our conditioned reactions, which are so often based on the past. So we can learn to relate to the present, but one has to be willing and also able with, through practice to be more mindful of one's reactions when they arise. One has to be honest with oneself. One retreat that um, Larry Rosenberg and I led maybe, it's got to be four or five, at least four or five years ago now, um, it was fascinating uh, to, to see what happened when the conditions of, on the retreat changed and just kind of to see where that led. We were leading a retreat and it was started on a Saturday, it was a seven-day retreat, and we were, I think, on the Second day of the retreat. I believe it was Monday morning. Remember what the second day of the retreat was like? Not easy. Not easy, right? It was hard. The mind was really all over the place, right? And tired, too. Uh, so I remember we were sitting at the 8 o'clock sitting, and all of a sudden we heard all these trucks pull up next to the meditation hall. And, you know, you could hear the WMFX rock music playing in the uh, truck, you know, cab, and you could hear some voices, you know, shuffling, some shuffling around of equipment and things like that. And then the engines were shut off. Actually, the radio was off too. And then, maybe about 20 minutes later, sounds began to arise in the room. Very, very, very loud sounds began to arise in the room. And what happened was that the staff here, very diligent staff here, had arranged for these contractors to come and replace all the windows in the main building. <laughs> all the frames and the windows in the main building to, to winterproof it. And they had scheduled it for the following week after our retreat was supposed to be over. But these guys, you know, I love contractors. May they all be happy. But, <laughs> but sometimes they need to operate on their own schedule, let's just say. And, you know, they have a schedule. And this was the week that they were available. So they decided to come. Uh, and probably thought the owners or the people who hired them would be happy because they're here a week early. Uh, so they came and they started ripping out all the frames. Uh, all the frames and all the windows 
and you know, tr- tremendous shaking in sounds in the meditation hall. And you can imagine how the yogis <laughs> responded to this. I mean, it was deafening at times, quite frankly. It was very, very, very loud. The building was actually shaking uh, while we were sitting. Um, so we quickly went into listening meditation instructions because uh, we weren't at the third foundation yet, uh, which would have been their reactions. Um, but obviously people were lost in their third foundation by that time, lost in their reactions. And people were having, obviously, a difficult time. And this construction job lasted about two and a half days. So what was coming up for people was they came to Barry for quiet. And here they find themselves in the middle of a construction project. And so there's a couple of choices there. There's basically, maybe there's more than two, probably some variations. But one is you could get up and leave and say, Barry is just the most horrible, insensitive place on the planet. Why, how could they do this to us? You know, I'm getting out of here. I can't get any samadhi or concentration or insight under these conditions and leave. That definitely would have been one response, and certainly many people considered it, uh, because we talked to them later. But nobody did. Nobody left. Nobody left. We stayed. And so when we're staying now, this might not be a time when we're going to develop a lot of concentration, you know, where the mind is necessarily going to get really quiet. But it would be an excellent time. In fact, we did open the instructions up quite quickly. Excellent time to be mindful of your aversion, the anger, the fear, the resentment, the the helpless feelings, whatever the reactions were, and to bring mindfulness to those reactions. In other words, simply see it as something to work with. Simply see it as a mindfulness practice. Now, obviously, if we were in a situation that was harmful, Wisdom would be to get out of that situation and not just be mindful of your reaction. That wouldn't be wise. But this situation, we were safe. Nobody was getting hurt. We were just actually being subjected, simply put, to unpleasant uh, hearing sensations, sounds, unpleasant sounds. That's all that that was different in a little physical vibration. Uh, (laughs) That wasn't that bad. But the physical sensations of hearing was quite loud and sharp. Um, and it was disruptive in a sense. You know, I remember one, I went up to my room, which everybody comments on how nice my room is when they come in. And I went into my room, and there was this guy <laughs> looking at me from the outside, no window. I go walking up, he waves to me like this, and I start a conversation with this guy. And he's literally, I had no room for like a day. Uh, and this guy was outside the whole time, checking me out, trying to figure out what I was up to. Um, so it was disruptive, but it was extremely creative. You know, and so many people later, I mean, it was nice when the quiet came back. No doubt about it. You know, when those conditions changed, nobody was clinging to those guys banging away. You know? We were over the first two or three days, sleepiness wasn't an issue, so now we were, we were definitely ready for the quiet. Um, so it was nice when the conditions changed. But what we discovered in that is that we suffered so much less 
when we simply said, okay, there's aversion, there's fear. Here I am feeling resentment, anger, disappointment, betrayal, you know, whatever the feelings might be. And some of them were very strong, very, very disappointment, anger at the teachers. How could they let this happen? All sorts of reactions were happening. Being mindful of that allowed people not to get so lost in the reaction. It allowed us not to be so caught by the reactive mind. In, in the process of being mindful of the reactions, we're, uh, we're disempowering those reactions, those conditioned reactions. And that increases our capacity to be under those conditions and still experience some degree of relaxation and inner peace even though the conditions are unpleasant. But if we didn't have a mindfulness practice, it would not have been like that. It would not happen that way unless we had. In fact, most people wouldn't have even stayed if there wasn't a mindfulness practice. It would have been a disappointment. It wasn't what we came here for. It wasn't what I came here for. When I left Cambridge, I never expected that. But it happened. So bringing mindfulness to reactions, this third foundation, it's, it's one of the most wise things you can do in your life. It's over and over again, when you meet conditions, whether it's in the dining room, whether it's at the bulletin board, whether it's to do with going to an interview in the morning, or whatever the conditions are on retreat, being more mindful of how, what you're doing with that. Are you clinging? Or are we reacting against it because it's unpleasant and we don't like it? So to be more mindful of that creates this freedom. Creates this freedom. It creates a space in the mind to not be subject to that reaction. The reaction can be there. We don't want to judge our reactions. But we also don't want to get lost and we definitely don't want to identify with those reactions. Very, very, very briefly, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is we'll be talking about quite a bit of the, this as we go into the retreat anyways, but uh, the laws of experience, which is when we develop this mindfulness practice in a sustained way. In other words, we're able to pay attention to the body in a more sustained way, in a balanced way, less identified way, when we can pay attention to feelings in a more sustained and balanced way, when we can ride out pleasant and unpleasant without being so caught or reactive to them, or when we can pay more attention to mind states, emotions, and moods without being overwhelmed by them or identified or lost in them. You know, and that's what does happen with practice, no doubt about it. The mindfulness gets stronger. Our ability to be mindful of these uh, foundations gets stronger and stronger. But one of the, uh, one of the uh, fruits that comes out of this mindfulness practice is we begin, to, uh, we begin to see the underlying truth. We begin to see into the nature of the experiences that we're having. Uh, we begin to see that all of these sensations in the body, all the feelings that we're subject to on a daily basis, all the mind states that arise, express themselves, they all pass away. They all change. So we begin to, to, to taste the changing nature of all these experiences. And what comes out of that is something wonderful, only wonderful, which is that we begin to feel less separate from our environment. 
We begin to feel less separate from the people that we share this planet on. We begin to feel part of nature. And it's not an illusion, this awareness. It's seeing what's real, which is we are part of nature. Our thoughts create separation. Our thoughts create a sense of a separate self, apart from the world that we're living in, apart from nature. Somehow, we have this concept that everything else is changing but us. No, really, we do. Something inside us isn't. It's solid. And it's deeply conditioned for us to believe that. But when we can begin to see through that illusion, we begin to feel part of nature. We're getting in touch with what's real. And that allows us to begin to relax. Because when we feel separate, the result of that is fear. Living a life of fear. When we experience ourselves as nature, we begin to discover that there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no separation. And that awareness is, is uh, one aspect, anyway, of the fourth foundation. Okay, so let's uh, sit for a minute. May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have comfort of heart. And may all beings be free from all forms of suffering. <laughs> 